0: Welcome to All Things Cozy with Matt. And Jillian. We are a biweekly podcast about everything that is warm, soft, and comforting. This week we're joined by Barbara Ross, author of the main clam bake mystery series, the newest of which, Steamed Open, was recently published by Kensington Mystery in December. So welcome to the podcast, Barbara.
1: Hi. How are you doing?
2: We're doing we're really
1: great. great.
0: We're, we're so glad to be here with you <laughs> virtually. <laughs> yes.
1: And I know it's late over there. Um, so thank you for Like I said, uh, coming to chat with us this evening, we've been meaning to get you on, so we're really thrilled. Well, I'm excited too.
0: Yeah, I'm an absolutely huge fan of the Omnibus series that you publish with Lee Hollis and Leslie Meyer. I look forward to it every year. I'm so excited there's a Halloween coming out, so I have a lot of questions for you. But to get us started, we're going to start with our regular segment, which is uh, what's making us feel cozy this week.
1: So um, actually, to talk to Matt about this, when we, we met up for brunch this weekend, a little cozy behind the scenes. and um, Sorry already talked to him about this place, but I went to the listening room in Nashville, Tennessee on a little trip I went on. And it's similar to the Bluebird Cafe where new talent or aspiring singer-songwriters come and perform for, you know, just the general public. You can buy tickets, you have to buy tickets in advance. And I, what I love about the listening room is that you can eat and drink While you watch the performers, which I think is very cozy, especially, you know, if there's a risk that the performer might not be so great to have a drink and not a great. You'll need a
0: drink if they're not so great.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it's nice to just sit down. I really love sitting at concerts. I find that (laughs) that cozy. We're that age. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't want to be standing anywhere. So the fact that not only do I get to sit, but I get to eat while I sit. (laughs)
0: I I love eating while I sit, too. That's crazy.
1: And and, and you're (laughs) in the dark. And sitting while I eat. (laughs) Eating in the dark with a a nice cold drink and watching a performance is like the perfect evening for me. But it's also nice um, to see such great talent, especially since the listening room focuses on um, female artists and they're called the song suffragettes. So that added another layer of enjoyment to the evening. But I think any place where you can... Any music venue where you can sit and eat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's basically all of them. But so I'm, I'm so happy you're easily satisfied.
1: <laughs> no. It, well, <laughs> well, You can't really watch like a, a play. Anymore. That's
0: true. Okay. That's true. A Broadway Let's, show.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. No, definitely don't do that. Don't unwrap uh, candy while you're at a Broadway show. It's very distracting. But when it's music and it's louder. that you know. I guess
1: I haven't been to many music venues where you can sit and eat. Yeah. So maybe I'm just blown away. <laughs>
0: I'm totally on board with sitting at concerts. I've reached that stage where standing is just a complete it's it's asking too much. I can't do it.
2: Yeah,
1: I can't well, I can't do you, it.
2: Don't you hate it when you have a great seat and then everyone in front of you stands up oh my goodness. and you're like, Oh, we're doing this now.
1: We just Matt and I just experienced that actually. So this woman, she wasn't even just standing, she was dancing. Dancing
0: she, she was, was out of her mind. <laughs>
1: yeah, that was a whole nother story. But so that that's a great point, Barbara, because a lot of times people aren't respectful of the space. So that's a whole nother layer of it.
0: Yeah, well, this individual was begging everyone around her to dance with her. She wasn't content just to enjoy the the concert her way we had we were all had to be complicit in her version of enjoying it and she was guilting us into like not enjoying it enough and i really hated it
1: and it wasn't that kind of concert <laughs> it wasn't too. that kind of concert it was no. a, more, a quiet mellow scene. and matt and i just happened to be <laughs> seated right behind her which it, it seems very <laughs> on brand for us yeah <laughs> plus as we
0: established we enjoy sitting so we were not about to stand and start dancing yeah <laughs> <laughs> on the topic of sitting uh <laughs> What's making me feel cozy this week is uh, the Crumbs and Whiskers Cat Cafe, which, if you know me, is exactly the thing that I'm interested Mm -hmm. in. I love cats. I love coffee, too. But you don't really go there for the food because also you can't prepare food where there are animals. (laughs) Funnily enough, it's not like a it's a health code violation. Yeah. So they they prepare the food off site and they bring it into the cafe. I didn't even order anything. I was there for the cats. It was my birthday present. Uh, my husband took me because I love cats, but I can't have any because he's allergic. And so he suffered for an hour in there with me, <laughs> locked up in basically a, a glass cage. <laughs> but it's very cute. They have like pillows and there are about 30 cats in there. And they're all, what, what's really cozy about it to me is that they're all adoptable. And so mm-hmm. you go there, you can play with the cats, snuggle with them. It's it. The cats are really relaxed. They're really used to people. So it's you can just cuddle with them. It's It's very comfortable and cute. But my favorite thing is their Instagram, which is like at crumbs whiskers, I think crumbs underscore whiskers there. You can, they'll show you which cats are just joining them and are adoptable. And also which cats have been adopted. And so I've been checking it to see which cats I interacted with and if they've been adopted. And a lot of them have been, and it's great to know that they found homes.
1: That's a really sweet aspect. Like the cat cafe that I went to Seattle, they had, I believe five cats. So Mm. to hear the, that this place has 30 cats. Yeah. You're, you're bet, you know, you're betting higher because a lot of times cats don't want to interact. Right. Or adult cats. <laughs> so your chances are greater of snuggling with a cat. And I loved your photos. Though so my cats, Snickers and Reese's were a little jealous. to <laughs> see Matt interacting with well, them. They got plenty of cat.
0: time. I did, I had cat sit for Jillian recently, so they got a lot of me time.
1: So, uh, <laughs> friend of
2: mine um who under the name of kate conte writes a cozy mystery series about a cat cafe oh Oh my
1: god yeah
0: we need to read that
2: yeah so it's kate conte and they're from minotaur and i they're great she doesn't actually open the cafe till the end of the first book but i recommend i recommend them
0: they sound great, yeah. No, I'd love to read that.
1: Yeah, that, that's definitely on our list. We're always looking for new cozy mysteries to review, and if there's a cat, cats involved, we're on it. Like, right yeah, on, right. It. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's a deal. Yeah,
2: she, she writes a cat so She's very cat oriented. As Liz McGoverow, she writes a cat series for Kensington, but the Cat Cafe series is her her Kate Conte series.
0: So how about you, Barbara? What's making you feel cozy this week?
2: Well, even though I I moved full-time to Maine a year ago, September, I'm not crazy. Um, So my husband and I are here in Key West um, for the winter. And this is our last week here. And I sent my edits for Main Clambic 8 back to my editor yesterday. And my page proofs for the haunted house murders are home in Portland. So I have the whole week to kind of wind down. And it's making me feel very cozy. It's sort of like going to have drinks or lunch with people to say goodbye mm-hmm. and sort of just taking my time and reading by the pool. And I'm feeling very cozy.
1: That sounds lovely. I love when you have nothing on the horizon and you just have a your mind's almost like a a, a blank slate or a little cloud.
2: Yeah,
0: it's a true vacation.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. It really
2: is. It really is. Toward the end of the week we'll have to start packing, but for now oh, yeah. I'm just chilling.
1: It's in the distance and you can just grab lunch, maybe catch up on some books, maybe here, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Sounds very relaxing.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. So very so fun. you're you're in Florida now. Right. And so you go there for the winters. Is it usually like when you're coming back, is it still kind of chilly or is it pretty well in sp- into spring by the time you return?
2: No, it's still, I mean, there's enough of a chill in the air that you definitely get to experience the seasons. So it is an adjustment and we'll get the winter clothes out for just a little while. Um, but it's, it's time to go home too. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm ready. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Be in your own space.
0: Well, it's good that you get to escape the, the Maine winter, at least for a little bit. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and that's a perfect segue, actually, into, into your Cozy Mystery series. So your Cozy series is set in Maine. Again, it's the the Maine Clambake Mystery series.
1: I'm, sh- I'm sure that this is something that you talk a lot about um, when you do interviews, but um, I'm sure our listeners would love to know, when did you know that you wanted to write mysteries?
2: I think it's really when I returned to reading mystery sometime in my 30s. So like many cozy mystery authors, they'll tell you the same story. It started with Nancy Drew, definitely. Mm -hmm. And then I graduated to Agatha Christie and from there to Dorothy L. Sayers. It's a a well-trod path, but I was an English major in college and I sort of came out of that experience reading a lot of contemporary American fiction. And then sometime in my 30s, I thought to myself, if I never read another book where I can't stand a single person in it, it'll be too (laughs) soon. So that took me back to mysteries. It took me to P.D. James and Ruth Rendell, which, you know, got me to Elizabeth George and Deborah Crombie. And that was really my path back as a reader. I always say that if you're not writing something you would love to read, you've, you know, something has gone tragically awry with your career. So once I became fully invested in reading mysteries again, then, my interest in writing also, um, began to parallel that.
1: That's a good rule of thumb because sometimes when I've been writing a short story or what have you, it almost feels like a chore. Mm -hmm. And so if it, if it feels like a chore, I mean, at some points, you know, going through edits, it's not the most fun, fun thing to do, but there's a difference between just, you know, a labor of love versus feeling like you don't want to be in the story. You don't, like you said, you don't like your character or you don't like the topic. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a good piece of advice, too, for aspiring writers.
2: Yeah. And I also, Jillian, I'll tackle much darker subjects in short stories because I don't mind being there for a month, but I don't want to be there for a year. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it gets to you. I think of, you know, Michelle McNamara, how she's writing about the Golden State Killer. It's not a cozy topic, but that really affected her life. And so you don't want to stay in a dark topic for too long, as you as you mentioned. Yeah, exactly.
0: And also, I mean, I've, I've heard a lot of writers express the best way to become a better writer is to read. And it makes sense, right? If you're going to write in a certain genre, you want to be an avid reader in it. And so going back to your, your main Clambic Mysteries, what, what inspired that as your topic or your theme for your mysteries? And, and how did Julia Snowden come to be?
2: Well, the idea was a single word that came from my agent. My agent wrote a short missive to the president of sisters in crime, new England and said, does anybody want to write a spec proposal and a spec proposal means that both you and the agent are doing it on spec. It's not like there's a publisher waiting for it. And, um, I called and we talked and it seemed to make sense to proceed. And he said, well, I gave my first idea away, but I have some others. I'm like, great. He said, the first one was Nantucket Cookie and Fudge Company. And I said, I cannot afford to stay on Nantucket and do research, and I cannot afford to do research on cookies and fudge. So that's out. Fair enough. And his next idea was Block Island Bicycle Rental, which, as I said to him, what are there, 50 people on Block Island in the off-season? I don't know how many people I can kill there. (laughs) So that was out. And his third was just one word, and it was clam bake. And my mother in law had um, ran a bed and breakfast in Booth Bay Harbor, Maine, for 15 years. And I had become close to some writers up in that area, including Lee Waite, who writes great, um, the Needlepoint series for Kensington and the um, Antique Prince series. And she had told me her daughter got married on an island. Where a fam a private island where a family ran a clam bake. So when he said that word clam bake, I was like, "That's it," and that was all he said. And then the rest, of, I was kind of off and running. It was the I was writing the proposal in November, so the la- the clam bake was long uh, closed down, and I couldn't visit it. Mm-hmm. Which I actually think, in retrospect, is good because I had to make my own up. Um, mm-hmm. But that was really the genesis of of the main clam bake mysteries.
1: Yeah, and it, it lends itself the clam bake to um, a very cozy topic, food. Um, so there's a lot you can you can do with that.
2: That's true. Although I was originally stymied by the food, so when I turned in the original proposal. Um, my agent truly yada yada'd me through this proposal. So he's like, you know what a cozy mystery is, yada yada, amateur sleuth, yada yada, and he <laughs> said recipes. And I was like, well, you know, at a clam bake, it's one meal. That's all That's it is. True. <laughs> As far as recipes go, like dig a big pit in your backyard is not, you know,
1: Yeah, I never thought about it like that, but you're, and also the sides are limited to corn on the cob and there's not really much you can can do with that.
0: But you could use some tips on that.
2: (laughs) So, um, I originally handed in the proposal without recipes, uh, but he caught on. So (laughs) for the first, for the proposal, I begged a friend for, a clam chowder recipe and I got I haunted my mother looking for her blueberry grunt recipe until she confessed that it was James Beard's blueberry grunt recipe (laughs) so then I got I hit up another friend for her mother's recipe so that was what was in the original proposal since then I've just adopted the well you don't eat lobster for every meal and Mm -hmm. just I just follow Julia around and report on what she's eating and put some of the recipes in the end
1: well, it seems way, you know, way more authentic than forcing, you know, trying to talk to your friends and grab some recipes. You know, that's, 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 that's funny. I didn't, I never thought, you know, when you don't really think too much about the recipe section. Um, sometimes I just, I skim through it. Um, other times we've tried out or mastered out their recipes. Yeah. Um, but I'm always curious as to how authors get their recipes. Yeah.
0: So where do you find them? Like, like when you and have so, to.
2: To be
1: honest, I really don't
2: cook. When our kids were young, my husband and I sort of shared the cooking equally. But when our kids reached that high school age where like nobody's home the same night ever, any night of the week, he started cooking these big meals on the weekends that he, we would just leave in the fridge all week long. And I kind of backed out of the whole thing. I hate grocery shopping. So it was fine with me at that point to back out of it. So he's become the family chef. So I tell him where the meal's being eaten, what the circumstances are. Is it a fam- fancy restaurant or a pickup picnic or a backyard barbecue? And he makes develops most of the recipes.
0: That is very handy. So you've, you've outsourced it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no shame. I outsourced the bulk
0: of it, yes. <laughs>
2: that's wonderful. Yeah. So, you won't bake, but I'm working on that.
1: So you mentioned, um, you know, you follow around Julia and report on what she's eating and whatnot. And that's a that's a very light um, aspect of the book. But you also cover a lot of tough topics, whether it's Chris's family history with Huntington disease or domestic abuse in, in Steamed Open. Um, how do you manage to keep the tone light in your book, but but also managing these tough or darker topics?
2: You know, that's a really good question. I think that the books, or I hope that the books, let me put it that way, sort of radiate an inner optimism about the human condition uh, and about human beings in general. I rarely, I think I've been, I've handed in nine books now, well, three novellas and uh, eight books, and I've only had one true psychopath. So in, in general, I feel like I try to have a gentle optimistic view of human of humanity, which is the view that I have and that that makes people dealing, doing their best, however good or bad that may be, but doing their best with tough topics makes it easier to deal with.
1: Yeah. And that's what I really appreciated about steamed open because, you know, you go to cozy mysteries for that comforting effect. And there are so many comforting aspects of steamed o- um, steamed open, especially the names. I, I love the snuggle in and those those cute things, all all the stereotypical traditional cozy aspects, but just the fact that you included those tough t- topics, what was so refreshing is a, a different kind of cozy than what I had read in the past um i especially loved ida's storyline um that's something that you don't really see you, you were talking mentioned f- flawed characters but flawed characters who are have and are neatly good or at least have that sense of optimism like you mentioned so um i was really in, impressed with that
2: yeah flawed characters but i ultimately don't think she was bad no yeah
1: yeah for for sure yeah she she had a um she had an inner, inner strength that was was admirable, and uh, but she was, yeah, not one dimensional, and that was an, an interesting character that I was in, naturally drawn to. But uh, yeah, so many different storylines that you tackled that kind of strayed from the traditional cozy mystery characters that I, at least I have have read in the past.
0: Yeah, you know, going, going back to that that aspect of optimism and going with Ida, I mean, she had a really hard early life, right, mm-hmm. uh, and she made some mistakes but she ultimately recovered and, and did really well so it goes back to
2: mm-hmm.
0: cozy mysteries often have that, that they, they sort of need to have that optimistic outlook because you want to return to these places you want to return to these people and this, these towns and it would be quite dark if, there, if if you didn't want to come back and feel hope even though you know that someone's going to die in every book <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> um but but going back to like it, not only complex characters, but also like writing a mystery involves juggling a lot of complex plot elements. So steamed open central mystery blends clamming, oceanfront real estate, and inheritance law. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> what's your approach to, I mean, obviously that took a lot of research. Um. So what is your approach to performing that research? And then how do you balance that once you start writing?
2: So that's a really good question. For Steamed open, there were two aspects that required research, and I approached them almost the opposite way. The whole issue of shore rights or uh, waterfront rights in Maine is an unbelievable mess, and um I was aware of that just the way you're kind of aware at a low level that you read in the newspaper about this lawsuit, and you read in Down East Magazine about that lawsuit. So I had this vague understanding that things were not straightforward. And I was really lucky because a nonprofit group had generated a specific guide for laymen about all the, all the complications of waterfront rights in Maine. So that was enormously helpful. And once I found that I really felt confident in what I was writing because I find it's much easier to lie when you know the basis of truth. Mm -hmm. Making things up out of whole cloth is difficult for me, but if I have some understanding, then it's much easier. Um, Mm -hmm. But I approach the other part of it, the inheritance part, the way I usually do, which is I usually do just enough research to see if my plot is possible, if my premise is possible, or can be in some way made possible. So in that case, I just asked a friend who was an attorney who was also a mystery writer, um, Brenda Buchanan, can inheritances be tied up this way? And when would it, you know, just vary the bare bones? Because I find that it's much better to do the bulk of the research between the first draft and the second draft so, because that's when you know what you really need. Mm-hmm. So it was between the first and second drafts that I actually went to the Registry of Deeds in was And I said, what is this place like and how does it work and what are the employees like so that I could describe them in the book. But it was just having that just enough understanding of inheritance law in me that I knew I could have the plot I wanted that let me go ahead.
1: It seems like you'd only just need to eat need enough because you don't want your readers to feel bogged down in r- research as well. And I I, I feel I, I learned some stuff, especially about I, I think one of the laws you mentioned um, for the clamors it dated back into colonial times. I believe yeah,
2: sixteen forty. <laughs> which think about how early that was.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I had no idea. It's not something even. Th- think off of the top yeah. of your head if you're not in that environment. So that's a detail that stuck out to me. So it's just enough research, I think, to grab the reader's interest. But it's not going to feel overwhelming because sometimes I read, um, you know, a book and there's a lot of, it's a heavy research book, and it almost feels as if you're reading a research book.
0: Yeah, well, I think a lot of writers also get stuck in the research phase yeah. and they don't know how to get out of it. And all of a sudden, I mean, I've, I've run into this myself. Like when I was in high school, I used to love to write fantasy stories but I, what I really love to do is write about imaginary worlds and like all of these, I drew maps, I did everything, but I never got a story done <laughs> because I was too busy building the world. So, but really for what? <laughs> it's because it never got written. It's imp- I really think it, that's really clever to like really just know just enough to get that first <laughs> draft down. But then between first and second, you know what you need and you can go deeper. I think that's so smart because ultimately the most important thing is that the book gets written.
1: Yeah.
0: You <laughs> can fill in the research later. Yeah.
1: True. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. And speaking of another difficult topic for writers, research is one, but also coming up with titles. I know, um, I believe at my college back in the day, they, I started a course specifically for creating titles, which I think is necessary um, because they are very important. It's either, you know, sometimes people are um, drawn to the title. They mo- might not pick a book up if they aren't. Um, so steamed open is a fun play on words, your clamping mysteries but it also speaks to the deeper themes in the book. And I'm curious if you come up with the titles on your own or if you collaborate with an editor, what's that process like? You know, I've
2: come up with all of the titles on my own. Oh. I generally have a sense, the first three were in the proposal and I generally have a sense of what the book's about in the terms of what time of year it takes place and what's possible during that time of year. And... <laughs> I have a long list in um, my writing program, Scrivener, of prepositions. (laughs) So I just start fooling around with um, past tense verbs and prepositions. My editor prefers the ones that invoke food, so he really liked steamed open, so clammed up, boiled over, (laughs) muscled out. He's much less enamored of the more resort oriented ones like fogged in and iced under those he doesn't love those as much but he goes along with it
1: yeah i i love the the titles because that's one of the things i love about cozy mysteries they're they're so fun and playful and they don't take themselves very seriously and that's what's a nice relaxing aspect of the cozy mystery genre the titles
2: yeah it, it, it helps me a lot to find the story too so mm-hmm. the one I just handed in is called Sealed Off because I wanted an adorable harbor seal on the cover. Oh. <laughs> but then that evokes a sealed off room, which becomes the subplot in the novel.
1: Yeah, they're a lot more deeper than you would, you would think on the surface. And so that's what I loved about S- Steamed Open, because it definitely spoke to the larger themes in the book, but also, you know, all the talk about clamming and, and food. And so it, it hit the bust of both worlds.
0: I mean, that that's the lovely thing about Cozy Mysteries is that they are so, this really fascinating blend of dark and light. And so even the titles are like, it's about a harbor seal, but also it's about a murder.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I want to talk about Maine because when I first encountered your writing in Eggnog Murder, one of the first things that struck me about it was how vividly you described Maine and for me, as a reader, like I've only been to Maine once, I'll confess, I've, I went to a gun quit <laughs> uh, just for a quick visit. But even from that short visit, and just just from the the confidence of your writing, it just feels like one of the most realistic depictions of a Maine tourist town I've ever encountered. Especially because it presents the two faces of those towns between the one that is there for the residents who are there potentially all year. Um, except for the times you know they go to florida (laughs) and then the visitors who come just during, during the tourist season so i'm curious like when you're when you're writing about maine like what are some of the things that you feel are important to express
2: you know i think that's a really good question maine is like a lot of places it's like it's 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 many things, right? So there's the very rural state that's lost a lot of its industries that it shares in common with a lot of other states. It's, you know, timbering and fishing and shoemaking and canneries are are all gone. So it's had that experience. But a friend of mine, Sheila Conley, who writes the Orchard Mysteries that are set in uh, Western Massachusetts, talks about that all Americans on some level have a New England of the mind. So they have a Norman Rockwellian or Andrew Wyeth or Jamie Wyeth or a Winslow Homer box in their heads that has the white church on the town green and certainly in Maine has the lighthouses and the lobsters and town meeting and, and all of those things. And that's all there too. So I think the duality of that is part of what attracts me to these stories.
1: Yeah, and I'm curious. Um, I wonder if any readers have reached out to you and commended you for depicting just the hardworking side of Mainers, because it's a lot of sometimes, like you mentioned, we think of uh, New England. It's a lot of cozy fluff, which it which it has, but also there's this these hard hardworking people who need the summer income to serve to survive throughout the year. And that's a lot of times an un- unrecognized side of life. And it's I think it's important to draw attention to that. So I'm curious if you've had any New Englanders, full season ones, um, who've reached out to you.
2: Yeah, I always love it when Maine people write to me and say, oh, it's so authentic. Or when people who used to be Mainers write and say, well, I'm in... Missouri now, but this really, you know, takes me home and makes me nostalgic. I love those. When when I created Julia, we, you asked about that earlier, I deliberately made her someone who had essentially left Maine in eighth grade and hadn't been back and was 30 because I'm not a born and bred Mainer and I would never try to pass for one because <laughs> believe me, it would never happen. So I wanted her to have a slightly outsider's perspective as she came into the story in the first book. Um, and she still has that a bit, even in the stories that are coming. And that was because I needed to have an outsider perspective because that's the only perspective I I can have. But definitely my mother-in-law's running of the bed and breakfast for 15 years. My sister-in-law lived full-time in Booth Bay Harbor and raised her daughter there has an impact um, on how I look at Maine and how I look at those resort towns. But my own college experience waiting on tables in Southampton, Long Island, you know, (laughs) gives me the same perspective.
1: Yeah, because actually I'm from Long Island and so I, there's, a, there's a big Hamptons rush. And <laughs> so, you know, li- living there all you know year round, you, I, I, that's why I kind of identified with um, the other si- slice of life because a lot of times people think eastern Long Island is big houses, you know, having, going to nice restaurants and whatnot. But there's people who live there all year round who really work hard during the summer so they can make it through the winter season. So it was it was nice I, to you know to see those characters be seen. Um, so that was a, a, a fun or enjoyable aspect of Steamed Open. Thank you.
0: I, I really love the idea of a New England of the mines, and I, 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 I can't, I have to imagine that my whole picture of New England is totally was established by watching Murder She Wrote with my grandma. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like Cabot Cove is like mine. <laughs> if I really am being honest about it, but I'm curious, like so. In an interview, you had mentioned that you had uh, moved back to New England after 22 years, and that felt like coming home. And you kind of you started to t- touch on that in your previous answer, but can you elaborate a little more on, on that? And what more specifically, what makes you feel cozy about New England?
2: Oh, that's a, that's a great question. So I was actually born in Boston or in Chelsea at the Chelsea Naval Hospital. But my father was in the armed services, and we left when I was six months old. And I didn't come back until after I'd graduated from college. And I married my husband, who is a true Bostoner with a Boston accent (laughs) and the whole nine yards. But I instantly felt at home in New England. And I, I think that's an interesting thing. When you're in different places during the course of your life, there are the places where you really feel like, oh, this is home. I feel so comfortable here. And there are other places where it's like, well, I'm here for a while. Um, and for me, New England just really felt like home. I really, I'm so happy not to have to chat to people in the supermarket, you know, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> not to have to invite them over and not mean it. I mean, it's a very, <laughs> um, straightforward place where people tend to mind their own business and, um, which of course is nice when you have a cozy murder because then you have to go pry the information out mm-hmm. of them. But um, I I just feels like home. And I we recently, as I said, moved from Massachusetts to Maine, but still New England.
1: Yeah, it kind of reminds me of um, the character of Lou. New England wasn't her home, but she made it her home Mm -hmm. uh, and chose that over Florida. So, yeah, I guess it's almost like a little slice of your life in there. So from the disinherited daughter to the absent son and strange relationships with parents is a recurring theme in Steamed Open, did the symmetry with the mystery Julia tries to solve in her personal life and the murder she's trying to solve reveal itself in the writing process? Or was it a part of the story from the beginning?
2: You know, I always I have a joke that whatever I think the theme of the mystery is when I start writing, it never quite is by the end. That's very good reading, by the way. I'm very impressed with how well you, you read. The theme always kind of shifts a little bit in the storymaking, but I always get there in the end. So Fogged In, which is the fourth book, I thought it was a book about going home because it's about four retired couples who, ret- who spent their summers in Maine when they were young who return um, to Maine. So I, I, I'm writing the whole first draft, and I'm thinking, this is this is about going home. And then I got to the end and I said, you know, nope, this is about old friends. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so some sort of not seismic shift, but maybe more focusing or some sort of shift takes place like that in every book.
0: Yeah, definitely. The, the writing always has to shape the theme. You know, it just, it kind of comes out naturally. Sometimes it comes out sideways or in a way you didn't expect. I teach high school English and a lot of like the resources that, Uh, Are available to get young people to write like short stories or novels. It's funny because they always ask them to establish the theme among the first things they do, and it's like I don't I don't know that many authors sit down and they're like, "My theme of this piece will be," and then they start writing. (laughs) The writing would
1: come out very wooden, I'd imagine, if that was the case. Yeah.
0: So I tell them to skip that.
1: Yeah, that's good advice.
2: I know that in my short stories, I've often
1: put like the
2: theme in the first sentence, like this is. And it never lasts. by By hmm. the time you hand it in, it's not even close to to having that sentence in it. It's my my daughter teaches college English, so she gets them right after you're done with them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, they'll tell her I'm sorry. And then, <laughs> it's always good to have like a theme in mind and kind of something that can unify. Because oftentimes, when I'm getting excited about like whatever I'm writing it's it's because there are some some similarities between elements of it. I'm like, oh yeah, I can make those connections. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's got to also be discovered in the process too. There's got to be that mix of planning and and genuine organic process.
2: That's that's exactly right. And that's kind of being open to be, planning, particularly with a mystery where you do have an intricate plot and being open to what happens are, I think, a really important balance. Although... A lot of people say things like, "Oh, my characters take over and they won't do what I want." And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I have enough <laughs> people in my life to do what I want." Right? I have adult children. I don't need my characters giving me bad time.
0: <laughs> I've always, whenever people say that, I imagine like their their hands—they're losing control of their hands—and all of a sudden they're typing. yeah,
1: they're possessed. Yeah. yeah, it's a very interesting way to describe it. <laughs>
2: If you people who I created won't do what I want, <laughs> what hope do I have with the rest of mankind?
0: That's very true. Um, but on the topic of actually like the, the craft of writing, you also contribute to two blogs, Main Crime Writers and The Wicked's. And so I'm curious because blogging in cozy mystery land is like a huge thing, too. So how did you get into blogging and how does that influence your mystery writing?
2: So I think. Blogging is a huge thing in the cozy world. And I, for one, have really appreciated it. There's a saying in writing that you write alone, but you build your career in a community. Mm-hmm. So my blog mates, in many ways, have been my network, my mentors, my supporters. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes of just like you were, you have things that go on behind the scenes in, in the, the pod, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that, you know, supporting one another, cheering one another on. Lawrence Block has, a, has been attributed with saying, no one has to fail so I can succeed. Mm-hmm. And I have very much found that to be true in the mystery world. People are incredibly generous. Um, In terms of the blogs, it's really like the Lilith Fair principle of giving concerts, which is none of us can fill a stadium, but maybe all of us working together can fill a stadium. So Mm -hmm. there's definitely safety in numbers, and we bring each other's fans to each other, which is enormously helpful. And then the other great thing about blogging is that it's a little essay that you can finish in a day or two, so when you're working mm-hmm. on a novel <laughs> and you feel like it's never going to end, you have this little sense of accomplishment, you know, that goes with successfully getting a post-up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you get some feedback in the moment versus having to wait a few few more months. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and, and so every year, I, 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 I've been waiting to ask this question the entire interview because <laughs> I'm so obsessed with, with eggnog murder and eulog murder, and I'm so excited for haunted house murder. And I have to know, so in those in those collections of mysteries that you publish with Leslie Meyer and Lee Hollis, how did that start? So how did those collections start? And can you walk us through your process for writing shorter mysteries? Cause I'm also curious it's a whole different beast too, right? Because you have such a limited um space for that. So sorry, that's like that's like too many questions all at once. <laughs> so, so the answer <laughs> was the first one. Right. So how did how did how did those collections start?
2: So Kensington approached me about being in the first one, eggnog murder. They had had a lot of success with earlier ones that included Joanne Fluke, Leslie Meyer, and Laura Levine. And I think they were looking for a new generation of those. So they always picked the big name. If you have the books, you've seen it. Leslie Meyer's Mm -hmm. name is the letters are two inches high. Right. Um, (laughs) And I think in certain pages on Amazon, it says Leslie Meyer, Lee Hollis, and another author, oh God! which always bothers me because there's yeah. less letters in my name than in another author. But anyway, um, so Kensington came to us with that, and they have a new Christmas one coming this year with Carlene O'Connor, Maddie Day, and... Alex Erickson. So this is something they really enjoy doing. They sell pretty well. I, my novels are always too short and my short stories are always too long. So I was thrilled. I thought I was probably a natural novella writer and that has turned out to be true. Um, I love that I can sit down and read it and pick the nits off it in like a day. So you get that real experience of, um, Reading it beginning to end. So for me, and then the other thing about the first book was I had been sitting on an eggnog anecdote for close to 30 years. (laughs) So when they said, Can you write eggnog murder? I'm like, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Finally. Finally. Someone is exactly, finally, someone has asked me for an eggnog story.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm so grateful for it because I really. I love your stories in those collections. I, I look forward to every entry, and, and Haunted House Murder is no exception. That's coming out in October or August, September? end of August. August. Okay, so I don't oh. have to wait that long then, good.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <That's> exciting. <laughs> yeah, I knew nothing about eulog cakes, however. I had not been sitting yeah, on the cakes. That, that, one, that cake one seemed tougher
0: to, 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 to handle, because eggnog you can poison people with. Yep. I guess you can do that with any food, but eggnog, there's just like, I don't know, there's, there's a little bit more there. But Ulog is tougher also because it's so hard to make. Right. <laughs> Even just getting characters to naturally put up with that is such a challenge.
2: <laughs> yeah, that was, that was more of a challenge. So the first two, Eggnog Murder and Ulog Murder, I really approached, if you look at the structure of those, it's much more like short stories. Whereas Haunted House Murder, my story has the classic amateur sleuth, someone gets killed, and and Julia walks around and asks people questions. So it's different than the first two.
1: We, we talked a lot about the, some advice that you'd give writers, whether it be for research or, you know, coming up with a, a title. What advice do you have for people in general who are interested in writing cozy mysteries?
2: I think my most, my best advice is to do it. I really just do it. There's no substitution for doing it. And it's everything you've ever read about writing. It's terrible for drafts and working it through and doing the revising. But I was in my 50s when I published my first book. So my advice to people is, you know, seize the day. It's one of the few things, your your chances of becoming an olympic. Olympic gymnast may be passed, but your chances of becoming a successful writer are still there in front of you. So just do it. I love that. Yeah, and
1: I heard, a, a, yeah, a lot of cozy um, mystery authors we spoke to—they started um, writing c- kind of later into their career, and so I think that's very encouraging. I think there's that that misconception that. Yeah, you, you might have missed the boat, but what's great about writing or a lot of the arts is that it's, it's really never mm-hmm. too late. You just got to get your butt in the chair. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, a, as a, that's not romantic, <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what are you writing now? What's next for Julia Snow? So I just handed in Main Clavic
2: Eight, A Sealed Off, which is continues the story from from where you guys left it at Steamed Open. And as we mentioned, haunted house murder is coming out end of August. I also have a non-clambake book coming out end of June. It's a new oh. series called. The first book is called Jane Darrowfield, Professional Busybody,
1: Love and it. it's a
2: <laughs> Barnes and Noble exclusive coming out end of June.
1: Well, that's exciting. You'll have to. Um, s- well, there. I guess there'll be a, a link um, once once it goes live. On- is it Barnes & Noble exclusive, yeah, you said? Yeah, it's, it's up
2: on um, BNN.com now. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, awesome.
1: We'll definitely let our, our readers know that. It's really
2: exciting. Yeah, so I'm, I'm quite excited about that. It's about a woman in Cambridge, Massachusetts, who retires from what was, when she started there, the phone company. And she gets a little bored in her retirement and becomes something of a neighborhood fixer.
1: Oh, that's that's really cool. I'm glad to hear that. You have so many books coming out this prolific. year. It's, it's, yeah, gonna, it's very prolific. It's busy. the Summer of
0: Barbara Ross. <laughs> yeah,
1: which, which we're ready for. Summer of Barbara. Yeah, I
2: only have one book due this year coming, which I'm very excited about.
1: I know you probably need a, a bit of a, a break, I'd yes. imagine.
0: Yeah, but don't take one. We like your writing too
2: much. <laughs> That's why I'm enjoying this cozy time this week that I told you about.
1: <laughs> yeah, so so get in. Well deserved. Well, Barbara,
0: thank you so much for sitting down with us and taking the time out to discuss writing cozy mysteries and, and your craft. We really, really appreciate it. We were so excited to talk to you.
1: Uh, it's been an well, honor. Thank you so
2: much for having me. I've had a blast.
0: So where where can people um, follow up with you? Do, do you? do you have social media? Where can people find you?
2: Yes. So my website is mainclambakemysteries.com. And I am on Facebook as Barbara Ross. And I am on Twitter as Barb Ross. And I always, all the books have a Pinterest board too, because oh, really I use those to communicate to the artist, the cover artist.
0: That's that's wonderful. So, so is that public?
1: Like a, a mood yes, board? Yes, they're all
2: they're all public boards, and they a lot of them have sort of different aspects, and they may also have pictures of the food. Um, but the steamed open cover, in particular, is was almost exactly what I was looking for, based on what's that? What's on the board? Do you
0: post those after the cover is revealed, or do you? Um, is yeah. that like? Do you are those? Could you find that while you're still working on a cover?
2: Uh, no, I find it while I actually post. I post it as I find it. So mm-hmm. we talked about the title being so important, and then I start collecting pictures, and then at some point in that process, my editor contacts me and he says, "What are your ideas for the cover?" And I always give a little verbiage, but I also give a link to the Pinterest board.
0: That's amazing. That's a really lovely peek behind the scenes. Actually, I have another question off of that. <laughs> I'm not going to let you go for the for the cover art. Like, how many drafts of that do you? When how much say do you get on the art? Like, because obviously you're communicating. So, what's that? What's your relationship like with your cover artist?
2: So I don't know my cover artist. He his relationship is with Kensington, and that little say is all I get. And then oh, okay. the cover arrives, and very often they forget to send it to me, so the first time I see it is on Amazon. Oh, wow. <laughs> but I have to say, with one exception, I have loved my covers. And the other thing is that um, I used to manage a software company, and I, one of my little chores was always explaining to The programmers, look, just because you're really, really smart at one thing doesn't mean you're smart at everything. And so let the marketing people do their job. But Mm -hmm. it's the same Mm -hmm. with the covers in the sense that my sense of what will sell is not perfect. (laughs) So I even the cover I don't love, they knew what they were doing.
0: Thank you. There's a bonus question. <laughs> yeah, so many behind the scenes. Well, again, thank you so much, Barbara. We're going we're gonna to move on and, and review this candle. <laughs> okay. But thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it.
1: Uh, yes. Thank you and enjoy your, the rest of your time. Thank in you. Take care. Right,
2: bye.
0: bye. Bye. Well, it's just us now. Yeah. I miss Barbara already.
1: I do. She was so funny and... Charming and smart and just overall wonderful.
0: I wish we need to develop some sort of podcasting smell-o-vision so our guests can actually enjoy the candles that we're burning.
1: Yeah, but at least we have enough, you know, we're insightful enough to know that someone want to sit and listen to us describe a candle they can't smell.
0: Yeah, but then we also are asking our listeners to do that every week. (laughs) Yeah,
1: because that just dawned on me.
0: Yeah. (laughs)
1: But I guess it's different than having an invited guest. Listen, you asked, yeah, <laughs> you're,
0: you're asking for this. Like, you want this if you're listening to our podcast. Our, th- the yeah, authors don't I always want that. thought
1: it's so crazy. It just dawned on me. <laughs> like, like, as if the listeners were all in the room smelling with, with me.
0: It feels like that, though. It
1: does, because, you know, our cozy, cozy crew.
0: That's right. So let's tell our cozy crew what we're smelling today.
1: Well, we are smelling a candle from P.F. Candle Co. And it, I went to their Brick and Mortar store on Sunset Boulevard in Echo Park, which is close to where I live. And so I thought I'd pop in and see what they have. So I cho- chose um, the Los Angeles Candle. And they're, 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 they're very thorough on their website in describing their scents. Um, and I, I find it funny when they have three sections to describe their scents. You know, the top, the heart in the base, why is which that funny? It seems Jillian. very dramatic. I don't that's up, how we discuss to a candle candles. connoisseur. But for me, no, it's I, just I, like I, I'm the same way. I'm vanilla. Like,
0: <laughs> well, it's also like wine, where it's like if you tell me what I'm smelling, I'm like, "Yep, that's it."
1: Yeah, or it's <laughs> like, I don't. Is it below twenty dollars? That's all I really need yeah. to know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care what notes they're telling me. Is it gonna get? All me I care a, about is the headache in the morning. The
0: money note.
1: <laughs> yeah, the yeah that money note.
0: How many notes am I <laughs> spending on this?
1: So. Um, but what's cool about this candle is it's part of an L.A. original, which is an initiative by the Mayor's Fund of Los Angeles, and it showcases the city's vibrant maker community. And a portion of all the sales will benefit the Downtown Women's Center, whose mission is to help women transition out of homelessness.
0: That's, a, that's wonderful. Yeah,
1: so it's great when a candle has a cause.
0: Yeah, even cozier.
1: Yeah, that's. I think that's one of my new things that I'm going to get on, is, are candles that directly benefit something.
0: I, I love it because it's like... It, <laughs> Candles are for self care, but in in the act of doing that, you're helping other people.
1: Yeah, there's this cool yeah. can, uh, line of candles, and I should have gotten a national. But I've always had issues carrying candles on the plane. Um, but it,
0: <laughs> <laughs> long history of a of long
1: history. No, getting, run-ins with stopped. candles.
0: No, it's true. I mean, if you try to board a plane with a candle, they're gonna at least swab it they're to see because they don't know if that's explosive device material.
1: Yeah. So, but it was a it was a line dedicated to helping. Um, survivors of domestic abuse. And so mm-hmm. I thought, oh, that's really neat. Candles benefiting a larger cause. So on that note, that's what the Los Angeles um, candle is to help um, women transition out of homelessness. But moving on to the notes, uh, the top is night, blooming Jasmine, dry desert air and lime. The heart is sea salt, coastal sage. And I guess I'm like a garbage person. I didn't know. Well, I don't know what the heck this is yarrow. What how, is that? how
0: do you do? <laughs> Do you know? I don't know what that is either.
1: Okay, good. Gesundheit. Yeah, you're not alone. And then maybe one of our,
0: one of our listeners will know. You can they, please let us know what that is.
1: You had to go on the YouTube. I don't want to pronounce the thing. Okay. Did
0: you? Well, when when you researched it, did you figure it out?
1: I just l- looked up how to pronounce it. It's like a fool. <laughs>
0: we, we can only go so far. Okay, the rest is up to you as a listener.
1: And then uh, the base is redwood, sea salt, and beechwood.
0: I'm getting the redwood for sure.
1: I don't know what that would smell like. I guess I
0: don't. It's very it's very woody, and I, I'm getting eucalyptus.
1: It's very light it's and light. airy. And it's, airy so it smells know. like
0: Los Angeles to me. I I'm down.
1: And my little last note about the jar, it was hand poured into apothecary inspired amber jars. So there you go. Mm-hmm. But um, like like Matt said, it's very light, airy, nice smell. It, it sounds like if you, or it smells like if you go into a a nighttime hike.
0: Yeah, I that I like that. Yeah. It's like the night air and a hike in LA. Yeah. That's a great way to describe it.
1: But. You know, I think this is a very enticing description. The the copywriter hats off.
0: Yeah, no, this is. I love this scent. I truly do. I, I will buy this candle.
1: Yeah, and so you know, I have to say, cause I think we need to be more transparent about prices. Yeah, because like wine, I have a small budget for the candles, right? And what I like about this candle, I believe it was only, and only is relative, mind you, but I believe it was around fifteen dollars and. But it's a good size candle, I think. For yeah, the I mean, cost. yeah,
0: definitely, it matches.
1: Yeah, because sometimes you'll see like a twenty dollar candle that's really tiny, and I can't even imagine. Oh yeah, what, it, I it's just mind boggling to me. You see these little tiny like they're designed for elves or something. And I like, know.
0: <laughs> one day we'll review a dip tea candle, and if we do, it's going to be one of the tiny like fifty dollar ones that they have. Because yeah,
1: yeah, but it's it's a great candle. We're have to
0: win the lottery to review a dip tea candle.
1: So. I, I believe this is a full wick for me because it contributes to a larger cause. It has a nice eerie scent, good bang for your buck, and like the copyright.
0: One wick all the way up. I love this candle. Yeah, I, we, had, we reviewed it, another PF Candle Company candle before, Teakwood and Tobacco. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't remember what our <laughs> review was of that. We record that we did it. I don't. We didn't put the rating down but i really love this candle a lot.
1: Yeah, if you're in Los Angeles, you can go to their actual store. Yeah. So there check you go. it out
0: another, another cozy location for you. A little in LA.
1: Better in your cat.
0: <laughs> Before we go out, i do want to do a quick shout out. So we have a very cozy listener, Mary Jane, who not only left us an incredibly heartwarming review on so Facebook, sweet. which was so well written and so sweet and just we can't tell you how motivating it is to get your kind words because it does feel you know making these you never know
1: shouting into the void sometimes (laughs) it
0: feels that way and it's so good to hear your voice back there like hey we're back there we're listening and it's it's, it feels great and now i want to really shout out mary jane not only did she review us on facebook but she went and reviewed us on apple podcast as well i didn't know that
1: she got us covered facebook okay So Mary
0: Jean, we're also on Stitcher. We're on. (laughs) I'm gonna give you a whole list. Um, No, but seriously, thank you. We really, really appreciate it. We are on Stitcher podcast now, and I haven't really advertised that, but I'm sure the Stitcher people know. If you ever, I don't know how many of you stitch together your podcast, but we're on there now.
1: Yeah, we can can be
0: part of your tapestry of podcast.
1: Yeah, thank you to everyone who contributes in the Facebook group. Um, We've gotten a lot of new member requests recently, so Mm -hmm. that's pretty cool. Sometimes I'll share a little cozy article that I find and my little kitties That's or right. what, what have you. <laughs> and um, then also we're on Facebook. In addition to the Facebook group, we have a page, and then we have an Instagram account, which is well. I need to start doing Instagram stories. I need to. I saw we got to get
0: like the the kids. The yeah. kids are doing the stories.
1: I saw a billboard of Dido's new album, and I wanted to do a story Dido in the wild, but
0: yeah, I just I love that. I was
1: too lazy to take my. Because it's a whole thing. We're
0: old. <laughs> Look, it's just it's it's hard, you know.
1: But I'll try and be better at that. Get more. Me too. Engage.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we, we hope you get more engagement. <laughs> but yeah, so definitely check us out on Instagram at All Things Cozy Podcast. Follow Mary Jane's lead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Facebook or wherever. Like we appreciate it. Um, and and yeah, Facebook group. Just like Jillian said, we're on Facebook too. Be on the lookout for new episodes. Stay cozy. Yeah, stay cozy, everyone. Bye.